if we are paranoid, legalistic moms who do not take our fears to God in prayer, we don't allow our children to face the Goliaths that God has determined that they will slay. Dana Gresh offers more encouragement for moms today, and uh, this is Focus on the Family. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. Hey, John, I'm so pleased to have Dana back with us again. Uh, last time we talked about some of the hardest questions every mom faces, kind of honing in on the few, like how do you know when to share uh, Christ with your child? how to get over insecurities of fear that you're going to mess this up somehow, that your imperfect child will be more imperfect because of your parenting. Uh, today we're going to kick it off again and get into some more of Dana's book, The 20 Hardest Questions Every Mom Faces. And I think every mom is going to be blessed by the discussion. And Dana is a well-known speaker and author. She writes for uh, young women and moms. And this book uh, is really based on her own journey as a mom of three. She knows firsthand about a lot of what we're talking about today. Dana, welcome back. Thanks. It's good to be back. I want to get back into it. You know, last time we may have missed one of the most important questions, and we probably should have started there, because I think it's fundamental. It's that question of who do you think you are? (sighs) Uh, Man, that's true for all of us. That's if, kind of the faith question, oh, isn't it? Oh, yeah. That's the life question. But it really comes into play, I think, as parents because there's not any more important task we're going to put our hands to than raising little hearts to love Jesus. So mm. the enemy really breathes that question into our hearts. And I think what I, what I hear mom saying is that whatever area of their life they really struggled with is where that question is the loudest. So if you're a family that struggled with debt, but you're teaching your children good budgeting practices, are you teaching them to tithe and you're teaching them to save? The question in the back of your mind is, who do I think I am to teach this to them? I messed things up financially. That's why we're struggling so much. For some moms, I've heard single moms really say, when I talk to my children about marriage and family and how precious it is and how God wants them to honor that, the question in the back of my head is, who do I think I am? I'm a single mom, and I'm telling my children to honor marriage. And for me, the question really comes up when I teach my children about their sexuality and purity, because that's not an area that I walked out well in my life. And so the question, who do you think you are, just haunts me. And you know, when I was writing this book, that question came up big time. Mm -hmm. I probably haven't felt it be really loud in years, but as I was writing my first, really my first book for moms who do you think you are was just all over it. And I would say every day when I went to write the book, I can't write this. I can't write this. I can't write this. And I was on tour at the time. We had kind of a day off in Memphis over Memphis barbecue with my team. Um, The quietest member of the team, one of the male leaders of the worship team um, said, Hey, I'm reading this great book. And there's something that really speaks to my heart as a creative artist I'm always wondering, who do I think I am to write songs about Jesus? Because I've messed up my life so much in so many ways. Mm. And this author says that she's started to reframe the question. Instead of who she is, she talks about whose she is. Mm. And she says, well, I'm glad you asked. I'm a daughter of the king of the universe. Mm. And as such, I have the right to participate in the unfolding of this world. What a healing balm that was to my heart. Because I thought, I don't have to have lived my whole life right to be a great parent. 
I'm a daughter of the king. And as such, I have the right to unfold the help God unfold the lives of these three that he's assigned to me. Yeah. And as we talked last time, uh, for a mom particularly, getting over those fears and insecurities that so many moms have Mm -hmm. about whether they're messing up their kids, whether their kids are going to launch well, whether they're going to be in the kingdom, which is kind of, I think, as a Christian parent, that's your goal to make sure your kids have a vibrant faith in Christ. Let me move to that modesty question. You touched on it. That's kind of what you're known for. You have written some brilliant resources, books, other things. It's what you speak on. Um, It's what your your pain has become your passion, it sounds like. Um, You describe in the book four myths about modesty. Let's hit those four myths, and then I got some questions behind it. Well, um, the first one, the first myth is that the modesty movement or teaching modesty to your daughter or son is going to forbid the expression of their beauty. I don't think that's true at all. Um, I have in my office two I guess, I don't know what to call them except Barbie dolls. They're not Barbie dolls. One of them's a Barbie doll. One of them is Barbie in her disco dress. Okay, it's not a disco dress. Whatever she wears today. This is getting more interesting. It's way too short. (laughs) Why do you have a Barbie (laughs) desk in your office? I'm I'm just saying. I'm going to explain. She has her like high heels on and her her hair and she's dressed very skimpily. And any mom would say, yeah, my daughter, I don't want her to dress like that. And I've talked many times about the fact that if Barbie was real, she's not physically possible. For one right. thing, her neck is so long, she's like practically a giraffe. If you saw a woman walking around with a neck that long and slender, you'd think that her head was going to just lop right over. So little girls have this standard of, oh, this is what my body's supposed to grow up to look like, and mm. it's such a terrible lie. But on the other hand, I have a Barbie. Her name is Fula. She is from the Middle East. She is the Barbie doll that little Muslim girls play with. Um, there is no form or figure to her body. She's very nondescript physically. She's covered in a burqa, so the only part of her you really can see is pieces of her face. And I think that both these two extremes are both harmful to a little girl. Hmm. I think both of those extremes say, your body is a shameful thing or your value is your body. And what I want moms to do is teach something in the middle, which is your body is a masterpiece created by God. It's good and it has a useful purpose. And when our daughters understand the purpose of it and they understand that the purpose of it is to glorify God and they understand who God is, What I really like to say is in terms of modesty and every other aspect of life, our children do not need self-esteem. They need God-esteem because if they understand who God is and whose they are, they'll understand the purpose of their body and the value of themselves, but they won't make too much of it. And that's what I think good modesty teaches. And that doesn't forbid us expressing our beauty. Listen, we were created in God's image. God loved to express beauty with a rainbow. You talk in Revelations, it talks about how beautiful heaven is, like the Jasper um, throne room. I mean, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And I know guys didn't get as much of that part of God's image, (laughs) you know, you know, but girls, we like to express our beauty. That is a part of God in us. And it's okay. So teaching modesty does not forbid the expression of beauty. It just gives it boundaries. Hmm. Okay, that's number one. Now, Mm -hmm. the other three, you have modesty as a form of misogyny. Mm -hmm. What is meant by that? Well, I think um, there are a lot of people who don't like us to teach boundaries in terms of any 
thing related to our sexuality. And the people that are, you know, trying to get us to say, do anything you want, anytime you want, in any way you want, are the same people that are saying that modesty is a form of misogyny. And one of the things they use is that, hey, it seems that the Christian culture is always telling girls to be modest, but it's hardly ever telling boys to be modest. Well, that's not really true. The Bible tells us that purity and modesty are for both genders, both sexes, but the majority of the teaching in the Bible is directed towards women. And so the Christian culture is just reflecting what the Bible reflects. And quite honestly, the clothing manufactured for boys does not objectify them. The clothing being manufactured for girls does objectify them. And you have some examples of that. I was kind of taken aback by that. What were the findings that you saw? Yeah, well, recently there's been a clothing line that um, just kind of did some research and they compared some of, I think it was the 10 top retail brands that are sold to tween boys and girls. And they compared them and shorts were 65% shorter. The girls' shorts were 65% shorter than the boys' shorts. Um, Even just the length of the sleeves, which isn't a big deal, but the length of the sleeves were 36% shorter for girls. So everything's tighter. Everything's tighter. Everything's tinier. The, The circumference of a shirt at the belly was one to three inches skinnier in girls than it was in boys. Now, of course, girls do have smaller frames. But I think the point is, um, even down to the fabric, the fabric being used to create a girl's T-shirt was significantly thinner than the fabric being used for a boy's shirt. So the fact that we are addressing modesty to our daughters is because the culture is preying upon them. Manufacturers of clothing and beauty products are preying upon girls in such a way that they can be objectified, and a wise parent won't let that happen. Let's move to the next one, number three of the myths in the area of modesty, that men are off the hook. Yeah, they're not off the hook. Um, Even though most of the texts in the scriptures are addressed towards women being modest, there's one thing that's only addressed to men, and that is protecting their sisters. You never see women in the scriptures being placed in the position of protecting the sexual integrity of their brothers. But God says um, that men are supposed to present their wives a pure and spotless bride before him. So I think we can take from that the context that it is the man's responsibility to protect the purity and modesty and integrity of women. And so men aren't off the hook. Um, What happens in this very centralized culture is that women are being harmed. They are being taken advantage of at times. And a woman should be able to dress any way she wants. She may not adhere to the scriptures. She may not adhere to a philosophy of modesty. She can dress any way she wants and walk through a group of Christian men. And those will be men who say, not what can I take from her, but how can I protect her? Mm-hmm. Men are not off the hook. They are charged with protecting not just their wives and their daughters, but all of womanhood. I love that example. And that's rarely talked about. I don't think most uh, teaching to teen boys in many homes would be in that direction. Protect your sisters, Christian Absolutely. sisters or your literal sisters. It's critical. In that way and be It's critical there. that we teach them that. Uh, your fourth myth is modesty is about clothes. Yeah. And you debunk that. Yes. What do you say? Um, a really big part of our Secret Keeper Girl ministry, which is our 
teen touring event that goes across the nation. We do about 100 events a year. It's defining modesty. And we just talk about how modesty is about being appropriate. Um, So then you take that to the next step of, okay, what's appropriate in terms of how my body is presented. And you can start to talk in a very safe, age-appropriate way about modest clothing. Um, But it's really not about clothes because if you go back to the purpose of our body being ultimately to glorify God, and really it says in the Bible, it says that our purpose is to glorify God with our bodies. We forget those last three words, with our bodies. Glorifying God is not some difficult to understand theological thing. It means that my body is in alignment with showing him off. It's showing who he is. And the ultimate sin of immodesty is that it says, look at me instead of look at God. Mm. Man, that is well said. So it's not really about the clothes. The clothes are just a piece of it. That is well said. Let me uh, push you on a couple of things. One being, (laughs) now, because I think moms are hearing you and it sounds like, wow, in Dana's house, it all was perfect. It went well. (laughs) Did your teen daughters push back with you and say, really, mom, why can't I? Let's get to the real stuff. The best way (laughs) I can answer your question is to say that there were tears at the mall many times. But you you just stood firm. Yeah, and it wasn't easy. Quite honestly, there were times I had to bring in the cavalry, a.k.a. dad, (laughs) especially during things like prom dresses, because it seems like there are certain times that we throw out all the modesty guidelines. We'll make an exception for this dance. Yeah, so this is an exception. So let's go with the low-cut neckline and the the short dress. Um, So Bob would a lot of times just intervene and we chose to use carrots instead of sticks. So there were usually rewards if the girls got on board because it is hard. It is very hard to go out there prom dress shopping or shopping for shorts. There are certain areas where it's really difficult to find something feminine and cute and trendy that's also tasteful and appropriate. So what kind of carrots did you offer? <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking money. <laughs> I'll give you 20 uh, bucks no, if you wear this. Sometimes sometimes <laughs> there were sometimes there were um, you know, we would give them so much money and we'd say if all of the clothes that you buy today with this money pass all of our we call them our truth or bear fashion tests and um, your heart is in a great place and you stay under budget, you get to keep all the extra money for yourself. So that was a you know, they had three things there. It wasn't just you got to have money left mm-hmm. over, but you got to have your heart in a good place. You got to adhere to our family preferences. And we called them family preferences. I don't know that the Bible says how long your short inseam should be because it doesn't. But these were our family preferences. They would be rewarded for that mm-hmm. in some creative way. All right, let's go to another one. Uh, this is a, a difficult one, too. You're hitting all the hard questions, really. Um, this one is about uh, when do I have the talk with my child and should I tell my kids about my past? Mm, Those are delicate questions. Very delicate and often very painful because many times the mom that's struggling with answering those questions has felt some sexual pain, shame in her heart. Maybe she hasn't even progressed in her healing from that pain and shame. Mm-hmm. And so these are hard questions, but I, I think I can, because I've walked this one on the hard pavement of life, I think I can give each mom with that concern on her heart some courage today. Um, the first thing is, it, I don't think there's a talk. I don't think you have the talk. Mm. 
I think you have an ongoing conversation. Yeah, that's good. And I think it starts when they're very small. You know, you can take a preschooler for a walk and show them a flower in a garden. And you're going to see that that flower has a pistol and a stamen. It has a mommy part and a daddy part. Now, that might seem a really basic thing to talk to your preschooler about. And trust me, they're not going to have any more questions. They're going to be like, whatever. (laughs) But that's a very important little piece in the puzzle of helping them to understand the importance of gender, the importance of a mom and a dad. Little things like that starting in about those preschool years are really important. My mom, she was insane, I have to tell you. She was the best mom ever. <laughs> but insane, right? A little insane because we lived across from a cow field with uh, milking cows, dairy cows. And every time one of those mama cows went into labor, my mom made a pitcher of Kool-Aid, popped some popcorn, oh, really? and put out lawn chairs. <laughs> Free it was entertainment. Time. It, was, it was entertainment, but it was also her way wow. of prepping us for... That could scare you. The conver- well, you know, <laughs> thankfully, a little-known fact about dairy cows is that they help one another deliver. So they oh. kind of create a circle. Yeah. So you kind of get to see the not messy stuff, you know, yeah. the cute little baby just standing up. But her, her intention was that she was building a foundation to talk to us about life and birth and all the way our bodies work and sexuality so um i did that with my kids you know if i knew there was a kitty in labor i said friends call me when that kitty goes into labor and we just little things can make the conversation easy but what you're really itching to hear is what is the age well they need to know (laughs) that they need to know the basic mechanics of sex i don't know that there is one age for every child but i would say that most psychologists, including Christian psychologists, would agree that about the ninth year is an important year for them to hear the basic mechanics of sex. There are some exceptions. Some children aren't quite ready yet. Um, And to understand this is a gift that God has created for inside the confines of marriage. Now, no child ever at the age of nine is going to think it sounds like a gift. If, yeah. you know, <laughs> uh, there's going to be, yes, uh, or <laughs> lots Disgusting. of giggles. Why would yeah. you do that? Yeah. <laughs> that was um, one of my kind boys. Of thing. Right. Said, after the whole talk, he said, yeah. that's disgusting. <laughs> exactly. They're not going to comprehend them as a gift, but you can still talk to them about the boundaries. The boundaries of doing this are inside of marriage. Now, here's the thing. If you do it at about the age of 9 or 10, you still have 11, 12, 13, those really important formative value years when they're deciding what they believe about everything, including gender and sexuality and marriage, to have a lot more conversations. Yeah, that's so good and so important. These are the right questions to be asking. Dana, we can't let you off the hook. We got to come back to the uh, how much do you share about your own past with your yeah. children? And that was something that was your experience as a mom. Mm. How do you do that, or do you do that? That was a really painful thing for me to pray through and think through. Um, what ultimately brought me to my answer was doing a lot of research in how do we reduce the risk of teen sexual activity. And one of the things that is proven to be one of the top five risk reducers is parent-child connection or parent-child openness on the conversation of sexuality. So mom feels comfortable talking with the kids. The kids feel comfortable talking with mom and dad. Um, And working with teenagers, I found that the biggest way you can shut down that communication, that connection, is not telling them about your past. Yeah. 
So there were kids, teenage mm. kids that I would counsel who would say, yeah, my mom and dad told me they waited. And we talk about this and we talk about that. Or there were kids that said, my mom and dad told me they didn't wait. And I'd be like, well, do you feel like you can talk to them about your struggles? Of course, they struggled. So I, I know that they're going to understand when I struggle. But the kids who didn't feel that they could talk to their mom and their dad about their struggles and their questions about sexuality were the ones who felt like their mom and dad were hiding something from them. Hmm. They're like, well, my mom won't say she waited. My dad won't say he waited. So I think I can draw the conclusion that they didn't. But if they're not going to talk to me about their stuff, why would I talk to them about mine? Hmm. And I saw that over and over and over again in over a decade of counseling teenage girls particularly. Hmm. And I realized I wanted, even though it was going to be hard, I was going to have that conversation with my kids. They were very brief. I'm not the poster child for purity. Let me tell you why Jesus loves me so much and how he's healed my heart up. That's about all they know. And that's all they need to know. Hmm. Dana, we're at the end, but quickly, uh, because it's so much of the core of your book, The 20 Hardest Questions Every Mom Faces, hit the Hannah Four principles yeah. once again mm -hmm. so that we leave everybody remembering those four yeah. principles out of First Samuel. Yep. So the way to pray your way to realistic biblical answers to all the hard questions your heart faces, one, Hannah poured her soul out to God. Just tell him honestly. Be angry if you need to, but be honest before God. Mm. Two, give your children to God. And you have to do that not just through your words, but through your actions as you release control and allow them to go through the pain and difficult things that God calls them to face. Three, tell someone. Don't hide in your prayer closet. Go to your friends and say, my child is struggling academically. My, I'm feeling like I'm not connecting to my daughter. Um, my daughter's really struggling with weight the same way that I did, and I feel inept at how to communicate with her. Tell someone who can pray with you. And fourth, be prepared to wait. All through the book, I have a waiting prayer, a scripture that talks about waiting on the Lord to pray over your children in that specific area. Because for moms, waiting sometimes is the one of the hardest things. Ah, this has been so good. Dana, let's pray for that mom who's full of anxiety, mm -hmm. uh, has that fear of failure, the fear of not being the perfect mom. And the truth is, you won't be the perfect mom. Mm -hmm. And uh, you don't have to be. That's the grace of God. Uh, but you can be a good mom. Let's pray for them. Yes. Lord, I just lift up to you this individual mom listening right now in her kitchen or in her car, in front of her computer, Lord. Father, the fears of motherhood can really overwhelm us if we don't bring them to you. So I just invite her right now to push the reset button on how she comes to you to pray her way through the questions of her heart whether it's about school choice or vaccination or medical care or when to talk to her child about sex or when her child is ready to hear about the salvation of Jesus Christ, Lord, she can have peace. I know because I've experienced it when I bring my questions to you and I have lacked it when I fail to do that. So I pray, Father, that she would bring them to you in all honesty and truth and that you would give her the peace to make decisions as a mother. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Dana Gresh, author of The 20 Hardest Questions Every Mom Faces. Thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Well, such a heartfelt and beautiful prayer from Dana Gresh. And uh, she certainly understands the doubts 
and the fears that every mom experiences. And she's done a, a really great job these past couple of days reminding us to seek answers to life's challenges in the scriptures. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire Focus on the Family team, thanks for listening. I'm John Fuller. The last two days of conversation with Dana Grish have been truly enlightening. And I am so grateful that as Dana humbled herself and sought God for answers to the struggles, she's now able to graciously share the wisdom and insight she's gained. Dana's book, The 20 Hardest Questions Every Mom Faces, is certainly a powerful tool in the hands of any mom. In it, Dana offers biblically-based wisdom and encouragement, walking with you as you think through 20 of the most difficult questions confronting moms. You'll find it online at safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300. You know, over the past year, Focus helped more than 9,900 parents improve their parenting skills, build closer family bonds, and instill faith and character in their children. Our goal is to help your family thrive. If you'd like to speak with one of our counselors, we can make that happen. If you have a prayer request about your family, we're here for you. You can call us or connect through our website at safamily.co. For Focus on the Family Africa, I'm Alison Schnell, inviting you to join us next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.